Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Large energy customers are increasingly walking the walk and buying their energy from green sources, not just through green tariffs, but more and more linkages directly to generators through a multi-year deal. On the other side of the fence, renewable energy generators like the guarantee of a long-term agreement to sell their energy. And between the uh, consumer and the generator in the middle often sits energy companies facilitating and enabling these transactions. Today, we're talking with energy company Alpique and renewable energy asset owner Aquila about the rise of PPAs or power purchase agreements with a particular focus on the Spanish market. And as usual, with uh, one of my Delta EE colleagues and experts to help us navigate this area. So without further ado, let's introduce my guests. Um, First up is Jesus Reyes from Alpique. Hello, Jesus. Hello, good afternoon. Um, Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now, not all of our listeners may know of or have heard of Alpique. So can you give us a few facts and figures about Alpique to start with? Yeah, well, Alpique is a Swiss energy company uh, with a pan-European presence and uh, local offices uh, all across Europe. So from Spain to most uh, Eastern European countries, including the largest European markets like France, Italy, Germany, the Nordics. So we have a large generation portfolio with a big relevance of uh, Swiss hydro assets as a legacy from our company. And uh, more specifically about Spain, uh, we have our own generation activity and we also manage a large portfolio of third party assets. And uh, we are currently supplying energy, both uh, gas and power, to industrial customers for around six terawatt hours per year, combining both. And uh, we have concluded in the past couple of years uh, half a dozen of the PPAs uh, for uh, around 350 megawatts of installed capacity, just uh, basically to cover our corporate customers' needs. Okay. Thanks, that uh, paints a nice picture. Um, and your job title is head of sales and origination. In the world, in the part of the value chain you sit in, that's probably well understood, but some of our listeners won't be familiar with, with what a head of sales and origination does. So can you describe your, your role in a more tangible way than the, the dry job title? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, as uh, when we talk about origination, we, we like to see ourselves as, as facilitators or as solution finders for our customers' challenges. So basically what, what we are requested is to be able to implement in, in concrete uh, contractual proposals those high-level ideas that we are uh, discussing uh, both with uh, producers and with consumers. That We need to, to, to make them real and to make them happen and make sure that uh, every aspect is covered from credit to regulatory reporting. We need to, to, to be the translators uh, internally with our traders and externally uh, to make sure that the customers' requests are, are taken for consideration. So that would be our, our task. 
yeah okay so you're very you're driven by what your customers want by what they're asking you and you make that happen by working with your colleagues internally um okay thanks jesus we'll come back to you shortly uh my second guest is marcos dominguez from aquila capital hello marcos hi good afternoon glad to be here with you and thanks for joining um marcos likewise can you give us a very brief introduction to aquila capital uh who is Aquila and, and what do you do? Sure. Um, Aquila Group is a leading investment manager in real asset solutions. It's sustainable investment strategy focused on investments in renewable energy and energy efficiency and infrastructure, residential real estate, green logistics, and all the things like timber and agriculture. It was founded in 2001, so we're not a super old company, but we are already managing uh, above 12.5 billion as of 31st of uh, December of last year. So through its sustainable investment, Secular Group is committed to contributing to the European energy transition. Uh, we try to create value for investors. So we employ a fully integrated investment and asset management approach. Um, we have 14 offices in 12 different countries. We're uh, continuously looking to expand and looking um, with these teams, try to draw on their sector ne networks and experience to screen, develop, finance, manage, and operate investments along the entire value chain. And part of those investments then are renewable. Is renewable generation? Yeah, most of, most of it is is renewable. Yeah. And particular types: solar, wind, uh, gas, bit of everything. Well, it's only it's only pure renewable. So we have um, as normal investors. So there there is a big wave now of, of renewable investments, mainly PV and wind. But we are also quite unique in in having a quite a wide hydro portfolio that we manage. Uh, for example, just in Norway, we have both. I think the figure, I don't know the figure by heart, but I think it's over 111 small um, hydro plants in Norway. Okay, so quite a, quite a variation then by type and geography and size. Yes. And your role is director of power markets in Spain. So uh, are you in that role, are you developing new assets? Are you managing existing assets? Are you doing a bit of everything? Yes, well, um, I belong to a department called the Merchant Market Desk. Uh, we focus on power markets and we try to provide assets um, with means for hedging their output using PPAs, among other structures. We don't limit ourselves uh, to PPAs. We always say that there, there is life beyond PPAs. Um, what we do is try to yeah, the, the, the main characteristic of the job would be to try to enable um, the assets with a hedge solution for their output. Yeah. Okay, so getting the right balance, some risk, but not too exactly. much risk, enough certainty, the right blend between those two. We look for the structure, we, we measure the possible risk, we try to balance it with a structure, um, with a PPA or with an alternative structure and we go into the market and try to source it for the assets, providing the best risk return profile to our investors and according to their needs, of course. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Marcus. Um, 
Last but not least, my colleague and Delta E expert, Dina Darshini. Hello, Dina. Hi. Hi, John. We've heard the We've used the acronym, I've described it once, yeah. our purchase agreement. Both Marcus and Jesus have talked about a bit about it. But for a listener that's never heard of the term PPA before, how yeah. can you simplify that and describe it uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, yeah. So a PPA or power purchase agreement is a contractual agreement between an electricity buyer and an electricity seller. So the agreement is you know, to purchase an amount of energy at an agreed price uh, for a certain length of time, say 10 years, and in advance of producing that energy. Okay, so that's yeah. the agreement. Um, but just before you know, I go any further on the contracts, I just want to take just one step back. Um, you know, if you put yourself in a renewable energy developers shoes. So, you know, you imagine you're building a 10 megawatt uh, solar PV plant, which has high capital costs involved, um, okay, and some operating costs going forward. Uh, you can take this on yourself, or in most cases, we'll often need third party funding. So uh, a bank or credit provider or, you know, some other uh, source. Now in a world where there are generous government subsidies and feed in tariffs, um, which typically have, let's say, 10 to 20 year contracts. Now there can be more financial security to invest in a renewable asset. You've but, got a guaranteed revenue stream as long as the asset produces electricity. Exactly. Um, now, but without the certainty of those subsidies, so this is where the PPA, well, it's one of the options. A PPA can prove that, you know, this solar PV plant, this developer is aiming to build, has already found a long-term buyer at a fixed price, and hence both developer and financier feel more confident that the proceeds from the electricity sales will, of course, cover this um, investment uh, costs. So um, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, you can think of it that way, a PPA um, okay. and its uses. And then within the world of PPAs, there's <laughs> a lot of variation. We won't necessarily go into them all now because otherwise the podcast will turn into a, a teaching on PPAs. Yeah. Um, but, um, I saw recently an example of some Dutch companies, Heineken and I think Philips, that have a PPA with some wind farms in Finland that have been developed. So it's unlikely the power flows. That's a, a virtual PPA, I guess. So the power doesn't flow necessarily from those wind farms to uh, the facilities in the Netherlands. But we have everything from those virtual PPAs to on-site PPAs. It's a broad spectrum, isn't it? Uh, yeah, um, it, yeah. Like you said, within that sort of conceptual boundary, there'll be different types of PPAs, you know, different lengths of contracts, the specific contractual agreements. All this, uh, there are there is quite a range. Um, like you said, there's physical PPAs, there's virtual PPAs, and then within the physical PPAs, uh, you have on-site PPA where the plant is at the site of the consumer, or at least you know very close proximity. Then you have off-site, uh, where it's not sort of physically there. Um, and in contrast to the on-site PPA, the producer will deliver the electricity to the consumer through a, a grid, a public grid usually. But this would require an additional settlement via the balancing groups of the electricity generating plant and the consumer. And then you have another one within the physical uh, PPA, which is called sleeved PPA. Um, which is simply kind of like an off-site PPA, but 
there's, let's say, an energy service provider which takes on various uh, processes and acts and acts as an intermediary between the producer and consumer. So it could take on services like balancing group management. Um, it could aggregate various uh, electricity producers in its portfolio. Uh, it could supply residual quantities of electricity, or if there's surplus quantities, sell it on, um, prepare forecasts. There'll be a range of things. It could market green certificates. Um, okay. But that would be yeah, in the sleeved PPA. Um, broadly, I think that covers most of the PPAs, yeah. So a very, very quick lesson on PPAs, thanks, Dina. Um, Jesus, I'd like to just briefly ask, from Alpique's perspective in Spain, what function are you, of those different variations Dina talked about, uh, what does Alpique do? Are you sitting between the generator and the customer typically, or what's the typical role that you're playing? Yeah, well, basically our role is, 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 is trying to accommodate uh, to, to, to all the customers demand from us so, uh, mm. and it covers uh, every kind of scheme so uh, talking specifically about corporate PPAs so just uh, the schemes mentioned by Dina uh, uh, some customers for some customers the most relevant thing is to focus on the sustainability that uh, this yeah. deal is going to uh, uh, offer to them and how to communicate that uh, to their stakeholders. Uh, that typically includes sometimes uh, physical supply, but there are some other players that are more focused on just purely uh, achieving the, the, the lowest price possible. And, and in that case, it's typically a, a pure financial contract, so that can also be a possibility. There are even combinations. So, I mean, uh, somehow we can offer uh, the, the, the full lot we are, we are just trying to identify what is the, the critical point uh, on the corporate and just trying to present him with the, with the most suitable product. And, and yeah. we, need to, we need to have and we need to, to, to accommodate also uh, the producer's uh, interest. And this is, uh, this is somehow the game that we have. So just uh, making sure that everything is, is feasible and somehow we see ourselves in the middle. And I gave that example of Heineken and Philips, I think, in the Dutch market. Uh, now, some of our listeners may be thinking, well, why don't customers just buy a green tariff? There's lots of green tariffs on offer. Um, are you seeing more and more customers want to make that link between their consumption and an actual generation plant, uh, rather than just buy a green tariff and have no idea where their electricity is coming from, as long as it's green? Absolutely. I mean, a uh, green tariff is a possibility for them. They they it, it, they need to think about what it really uh, what is really offering them. So, uh, and uh, and there we are starting to hear about uh, a higher level of requirements uh, coming from the corporate side that uh, initially were only requesting uh, that sustainability is uh, confirmed. But now they are starting to talk about additionality on top of it. So uh, uh, requirements on on the let's say the green quality of the of the assets behind their supply is is rising day by day. I guess because simply the, the market is increasing uh, the the, uh, the the requirements that they that they want to 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 insist that their partners uh, fulfil with. 
And that additionality, it could, for example, be, okay, we want to know that our demand for green energy is coming from a new renewable site, from a new solar farm, for example. And can we link our consumption with the construction of that solar farm? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. It, it comes exactly from that fact. Uh, and on top of it, there are even uh, some uh, changes in the regulation, particularly in Spain, that uh, also uh, foster that this type of contracts are signed with uh, newly built plants uh, out of any kind of subsidy. And, and yeah. somehow this is uh, what we're talking about. But so uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the market is, is trying to find a way to facilitate uh, the installation of these uh, new plants that are helping the energy transition. Marcus, from your perspective, um, I guess a time ago, and maybe still in some markets, there were guaranteed feed-in tariffs like Dina described. Uh, when you're looking at a new a PV farm, for example, uh, that you're building or taking up on the management of, do you have access in Spain to that guaranteed income? And to what degree do you want, you talked about that balance of market risk and long-term contract. So how attractive is it for you to tie your output directly to a, a particular in energy consumer, for example? Is that something you're doing more and more of? Is it something that you sometimes do, but only sometimes do? So um, for us, Alquila, once subsidies are gone, uh, the way we view PPAs are as one of the building blocks in the energy transition. Of course, in this respect, what would be like ideal is what you're suggesting about tying in um, the asset and the consumption. What happens is that, well, to get that consumption tied up for a price for a long period of time is something that as of now in Iberia, we are still going through it. We're seeing more and more corporate PPAs, but, but it is a still a growing market. We do believe that this is a trend and the more and more people, uh, Jesus was mentioning additionality, um, initiatives like RE100 are something that should prop up this uh, willingness to, to, to acquire uh, green energy for a long period of time. As of now, we're not seeing that much. Perhaps people are more used to the one-year, two-year contract, and this is um, moving away from the business as usual. But given good regulation, we had the electro-intensive um, uh, royal decree uh, late last year. That would be something that would, in our in our opinion, that would help propping up the interest for corporate PPAs. And in your view, the longer the contract, the better? Or I guess it depends on what's in the contract. <laughs> that, that depends. I was mentioning that we see this as a, as a building block. Uh, the PPA can have several functions. Um, it can enable the financing uh, or give you financing at better terms. Um, it can also give you, and this is part of the reason for being able to enable finances, is, is the fact that it ensures a stability of cash flows into the future. But at the same time, and given how the, the forward curve is in Spain, if you enter into much, you know, into a too long PPA, it can hurt the yields you can extract from it. From serving the PPA, from serving the debt, you might um, be too tied up in order to have 
uh, a lot of free cash flow to serve to your investors. Uh, for us, I was mentioning one of the one of the key things that we do uh, at the MMD is this structuring, and it is seeing how the different prices, the different tenors, and the different uh, structures for this uh, PPAs what suits each investor depending on the investor type you might have more appetite for one type of pbas or another yeah okay so if one investor may be open to more risk another not one may have trouble financing it the other may not yeah sorry some of the structures we have that are uh some of our investors are mainly focusing into yield uh for those obviously uh we need to work with um more flexible structures than just a plain vanilla 10 years pay as produced PPA. Jesus, from your, your customers' perspectives, what trends or patterns do you see about the length of PPA that they're interested in? Are they interested in, because the longer it is, maybe they lock in prices, but they have certainty. So what, what factors do you see affecting the length and what patterns do you see from your customers in the length of PPAs they want to sign up to? Yeah, there's certainly pros and cons. So the, the, what we have tried to, to, I was going to say advice, not really advice, but just highlight to our customers is that they they first need to um, to be very clear on their side the reasons that uh, for for what they they really need or they want to, to to sign a PPA. For example, if if a customer wants it for sustainability reasons. And, and even pushing for additionality, then it makes no sense that they go for a short-term PPA because uh, sure. it's of little use for a for a plant to go for a five-year contract. But sometimes you you receive this type of uh, contradictory request somehow. So then it's, it's, this is uh, our task a little bit to to identify. On the other hand, what we also try to to explain. Uh, to the, especially on the corporate side, I think uh, that the producers are are more trained because they are in constant contact with the lenders and they need, uh, they have a very clear view of, of what they really need uh, to get uh, or to optimize the, the financing structure. But on the corporate side, some of them approach the market just trying to 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 strike uh, the best price, and and PPAs are not about just the uh, getting the lowest price in class. It's just a, a decision you take uh, at a corporate level to go for it. And then once you have taken it, if it is for the right reasons, for sure you you uh, you, you have to conduct a process and a competitive process just to make sure that you do it in, in competitive conditions. But uh, it's not a matter of uh, deciding exactly what is uh, the lowest moment or the, the, the tenor that is going to make you uh, do the lowest price uh, from all the sector. This is probably uh, not what, uh, what we would recommend, because especially in long-term contracts, it's going to be very difficult to, to anticipate absolutely every circumstance. So you need to make sure that uh, uh, your stakeholders uh, understand the main reasons that are pushing you to take this decision. And then so it sounds like there's... There's quite an education process there or working with your customers so they're really clear about their objectives, they understand the trade-offs. This is precisely one of the biggest changes that we have seen in, in, the, in the past couple of years. So uh, this, uh, this teaching process 
was very long at the beginning and now has uh, reduced quite dramatically because uh, uh, every customer is is uh, is well trained and they they when they go out in the market and uh, they know much better what they want so this is somehow helping also to shorten negotiation periods and everything that were in the beginning were really uh, taking very long so there was a lot of market creation in a way at the beginning um would you say you're through all of that or is there still you've got quite some some customers that are still learning at the beginning that you need to take through all that education process well there's still a little bit of everything but uh, i mean for this type of contracts everybody uh, tries to seek also uh, their own advisors and, and these advisors have also gone now through a, a number of negotiations and this is also helping a little bit yeah I'd like also to highlight that it is not only customers. Uh, I think education needs to come always. Uh, and not saying always in, in time, but all, in all, for all players in this, in this world. Uh, I think education needs to come from all fronts. So for Jesus would be um, his customers asking for the lowest price. For me, it would be my investors asking for the highest price. It is not that. It is a matter of a striking uh, in our case, it is a bit more risk reward, um, but that is something and the education, um, the continuous education of all stakeholders is something that uh, requires uh, and takes a bit, good chunk of, of every day. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You've got to really align interests and objectives across all parties. Um, Dina, in terms of globally, we're talking about Spain today, but can you just give us a, a very bit, quick bit of context? Um, where are the parts of the world where, or parts of Europe where PPOs have really taken off first and are those countries ahead or are most markets as we've been hearing about in Spain today at that stage? Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, varies uh, per region, per country. Um, but the good news is uh, globally, I mean, the PPA market is growing, um, especially corporate PPAs, which are only at the start of their, I would say, market journey. I mean, if you look at the trends globally between 2014 and 2017, I think anywhere between, so this is global, huh? anywhere between two to six point something gigawatt of corporate PPAs were signed annually. And then in 2018 and 2019, these were record years, I think over 10 or um, to 19 gigawatt of corporate PPAs assigned annually. Of course, okay, um, 2020, and I suspect this will continue in 2021 um, due to COVID related impacts, yeah, these were hit. Um, but I believe again, this will pick up again from 2022 onwards. And the majority of this market um, currently is uh, for corporate PPA is in USA. But there is lots of activities in the Nordics, um, a bit in Latin America. If you look at Europe, yeah, Spain, Italy, UK, uh, Germany is picking up uh, here in Europe. Uh, India is doing well in Asia through the captive model. Um, you know, the world's largest corporate PPA is in Taiwan, I think. Um, there's a 900 megawatt wind power plant. Um, in this contract between Orsted and Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. So, yeah, it's definitely, I think, globally, um, there is a lot of activity. There are, of course, little pockets, um, which are a little bit more advanced. 
um, in Europe, for example, there are still some barriers, say, for example, in countries like France, um, yeah. you know, low wholesale energy prices. Uh, the French state still has some feed-in tariff support, but they're scaling it back. Um, other regulatory barriers. So, yeah, it, it varies. Quite, quite country-specific in many ways. Exactly. Uh, but I can also see if you've got companies like Microsoft, Google, yeah. Apple, Amazon, they're global global companies. They've got operations around the world. And as they become more familiar with PPAs, they're going to take advantages of countries where they can, uh, where PPAs can be can be done. Jesus, are you seeing that in Spain? Are you seeing multinationals or local companies or a mixture of both or any patterns across those types of customers? We see absolutely every pattern. So it's, uh, it's from, uh, as I said, for different reasons, uh, some of them, Probably the multinationals are, are, are trying to, so they have a, a, a well-defined sustainability target and then they simply need this type of tools. Uh, other uh, smaller corporates are just basically seeking the advantage that uh, they can now take from lower price if they commit to long turners. So for different reasons, but we see uh, different people approaching. And even the type of contracts that you mentioned from uh, multinationals that have some presence in Spain, but not that strong, or probably bigger in European, but they're seeking uh, for Spanish for PPAs because uh, it's it's at present one of the lowest possible prices uh, to, to be achieved. So, yeah. A little bit of everything. Okay. Um, interesting. So it looks like it's a trend we'll see growing dependent on country regulations, but quite a wide variety of customers showing interest in activity. And from a generator perspective, as you described, Marcos, it can often be a good a good fit. I'd like now to bring up the Talking New Energy crystal ball and look forward a bit. So if we set the dial this week to 2025, uh, I'd like to ask each of you what developments you think we'll see in the PPA market between now and 2025. So keeping it brief, um, one or two developments each, but what would you highlight that you'd expect to see between now and 2025? Uh, Jesus, let's start with you and then Marcos and then Dina. Okay, I mean, from, from my side, I'm very anxious to get there, to, to, to jump in that, uh, a tunnel of time because uh, yep. we got a number of we got a number of uncertainties at present that we are all trying to implement into our models uh, and uh, talking now specifically about Spain so the, the uh, how the the storage strategy uh, can really be implemented and how efficiently it can really materialize uh, it, it's going to be crucial and by then I think we will have uh, probably more clear view. And, and at present, uh, this uncertainty is, is also uh, leading to, to some risk premium in the, in the contracts. Uh, that uh, when we start uh, seeing a more real uh, future energy uh, environment, it will be a little bit easier probably uh, to, to, to forecast uh, this type of effects. And also on the regulatory side, uh, we are also eager to see uh, some uncertainties removed uh, as soon as possible, just to, uh, to make it easier for the discussion. So removing some regulatory uncertainty and managing the uncertainty of the variable output 
of, of renewables. And I guess both of those, if you overcome both of those, you will see a lot more activity with PPAs in Spain. Absolutely. Marcus, from your perspective, one or two developments that you expect to see between now and 2025? I think the, the main development that will happen is uh, corporate PPAs, instead of being a rare species, will, will start being mainstream. I mean, everyone will, will want to have a PPA in their, in their balance sheet. I think also that we will stop talking about PV or wind or hydro and more uh, hybridization into, into those. So that, that could be there. And of course, I think structures will become, we will move away from the plain vanilla 10 years pay as produced into more flexible structures, uh, shorter tenors, longer tenors, uh, fixed um, floors and caps, uh, collars, um, all those structures, in order to accommodate and to leave that rigidity away from those. Yeah, okay, so maturing of the market, more of those risk management tools, collars, caps, uh, blending different assets. Yeah. Um, okay, and last but not least, Dina. Um, your thoughts about key developments, Spain or global or wherever between now and 2025? Yeah, I mean, just to echo um, what Marcus and Jesus have said, um, I mean, in general, I think, yeah, we there is a general acceptance of renewables. And, you know, there were, there were government subsidies before, but, you know, as each of these countries shift from subsidized projects to open markets, um, I think, PPA will be, you know, one of those alternative options taken by uh, renewable investors. Um, and, you know, I think it was Marcus who mentioned more corporations are signing up to RE100 or are aiming to green up the operations and brands. So, again, this is uh, all in the right direction. Um, there'll be probably more flexibility uh, in contracts. Um, and with that, of course, you know, Potential customers will deem PPAs possibly as complex in their structure and pricing and, you know, will need help to adequately understand and negotiate these contractual clauses, which can, of course, impact the overall revenue of a PPA project. So in the future, you know, there very well may be a lot more service providers or consultancies out there that help customers understand energy risks, valuation and negotiation issues. And also, I think the finance sector is becoming very comfortable with financing these sort of projects, or more comfortable at least. So as the market develops further, not only are the customers being more educated, there are people out there to help. The finance sector is also, say, moving up this curve. Um, so I think the market will move in the right direction. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think it will rise and rise in the next five years. Well, I think it's a it's a great example of markets moving away from subsidies, incentives, feed and tariffs to more market-based mechanisms and customers driving that demand because what we've heard about today is customers wanting to link their demand to additionality, wanting to be linked to particular assets. And that's only a good thing because that will drive, that will make projects more financeable, as Marcus has been saying, and see more development of renewables. So, um, Really, really interesting discussion. Time's got the better of us, so we better leave it there. But thanks very much, uh, Jesus, Marcus, and Dina. It's been great having you on the podcast, and thanks very much for your contributions. Thanks, as always, to listeners. Uh, we hope you've learned more about the world of PPAs uh, with a Spanish, through a Spanish lens. 
and look forward to welcoming you back to the episode next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.